Hello and welcome to In Word and Deed, a podcast produced by the Center for Applied Ethics and Humanities at Santa Fe College. I'm Ann Tebow, professor of philosophy here at SF, and in a moment you'll hear from some of my students who have participated in Ethics Bowl over the years and a few who are fellows in the Intercollegiate Civil Disagreement Partnership, which is committed to reducing polarization by teaching students to connect across political differences. This desire to connect is increasingly on our minds as we think about being around family over the holidays and the prospect of sitting down to have discussions with people we don't always agree with. Today, Noah and Jalan explore the different layers of beliefs, values, and identity that affect our interactions in our episode, Peeling the Onion. All right. Well, hey, Noah, how you doing today? Hey, what's up, Jalan? How are you? I'm good, bro. I um, woke up pretty early in the morning, and uh, I got to test this mic out. I'm excited for our convo. Yes, sir. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, for those who don't know, my name is uh, Jalan Shalina. I'm a Santa Fe alum. I uh, started going in, I believe, 2018, and I graduated in 2021. Uh, I was a philosophy major. Um, I got involved through uh, Santa Fe, essentially through Ethics Bowl, which is an intercollegiate competition uh, for ethics nerds, uh, for both in the philosophy major and also in other, in other majors all over the, all over the, the country. And um, yeah, so uh, Noah and I uh, were teammates. And now that I've graduated, I'm at uh, Amherst College, I'm still very much liking my ethics bowl, and uh, still very liking uh, everything ethics related. Yeah, so just a little bit about myself. My name is Noah Frazier. Um, I got involved with the Ethics Bowl while I was in high school. I believe it was the principal of the high school dual enrollment program who came to my class and um, kind of introduced some of the topics, and I just got really interested and really involved. Um, and the rest is history. I met Jalan, and we've been friends ever since. Yeah, so uh, the podcast episode we got today was called Peeling the Onion, avoiding avoidance so now what do you what do you think that means what does peeling the onion avoiding avoidance means to you yeah so peeling the onion um is basically a concept that allows you to break down um the complexity of a person um and you're able to understand that they're more than just their opinions um and the words that they say they could be coming from a deeper place um and they could have deeper meaning and being able to peel back those layers is a better way to understand people, essentially. Yeah. Okay. So I see what you mean. So in a way, it's like when people tend to have opinions or um, when people act a certain type of way, we just tend to paint them all as that one thing. Yeah. So like peeling the onion to you is like something, it's seeing people as more than just one thing. It's like multi-layers of like people's opinions, their beliefs and their values. All right. Definitely. Exactly. We have um, the peeling the onion concept essentially breaks us down into three layers, the outer layer being um, our opinions, the, the middle layer being our behaviors, um, and the core um, layer being our values, um, which can fluctuate and um, they can fluctuate and they can, um, they're all inter interrelated essentially. So Noah, what does avoidance mean to you? So avoidance to me um, generally means um, not wanting to participate or engage um, in a conversation or any interaction um, because you're afraid of what the outcome could be. So 
that's what awareness means to me. How about you? Yeah, when in, no, I definitely think about it those ways. I also think about avoidance maybe in less intense ways. So kind of just tuning out of a conversation or um, I guess tuning out of a particular situation, losing attention, uh, losing interest is also something else too uh, when I think about avoidance. Um, and uh, in particular, I think of I think of instances and in, like uncomfortable situations that we want to avoid. For example, um, there is, you remember playing dodgeball back in middle school, and there was always that one kid with that incredibly strong arm, and you were wanting to avoid his throws at all costs. Uh, it's kind of like that. You want to avoid those situations in which um, you know the situations you don't want to be in. Like you said, that whether it's fear of confrontation, whether they're painful, or uh, whether they're just generally kind of like uncomfortable, and you don't want everybody's attention on you. Um, you know, to me, that's what avoidance is. It's kind of, there's this stimuli and you don't want it. You don't want to deal with it and you don't want to touch it. And uh, when it comes to conversation, um, I think this is really important because we, we want our conversations to go well and we don't want people to kind of opt out of them uh, for multiple reasons. And you know, no matter what, what that conversation may be, whether it's at a Thanksgiving dinner table between family, or it's a classroom between students or even conversations between strangers, right? We want people to feel included and, you know, and wanted in the spaces that they're in. So um, this podcast is going to be on avoiding avoidance, right? We're going to try to make people figure out ways that we can create environments and create situations in which uh, people don't want to disconnect. They don't want to tune out, or maybe there's not that confrontation or the fear of, of you know, of a, a bad outcome happening when we have these conversations. Right. Yeah. And peeling the onion is a skill that we want to introduce um, and it can be used as a tool to help people avoid that avoidance. So Jalan, uh, why do you think these two concepts are um, important? I think that in conversation, whether that be with a family or you know a stranger or an acquaintance or a friend, um, forgetting that other people have core values and beliefs and so on uh, can lead to deeper issues in the relationship between you and them or uh, you and the group and whoever you're talking to. So. What I mean by that is sometimes there's things like power dynamics uh, between two different groups of people, whether that be because of age or racial or gender dynamics, even value systems sometimes. And those power dynamics, depending on who's talking, can really affect who gets included and who gets excluded from the conversation. So, um, yeah, I definitely understand what you mean by that. And these power dynamics that we're talking about, um, there's there's a lot of different types um, ageism, um, racial and gender dynamics, um, among other value systems, um, that could create this sort of effect and affect people differently. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So for example, um, I, I was thinking of a time here on our campus at Amherst, we had a, a recent, I guess, roofie incident where uh, now we're, and now the whole campus is worried about community safety, uh, our policing system, uh, the way that we can make our campus safer for all people, regardless of gender. And we kind of have these like community circles that we have every once a week where we bring every some students and we come together and we literally sit in a circle and we go on one by one talking about what we envision safety looking like on campus. And I remember one of the first ones I went to, um, they had kind of like an icebreaker, right? For to kind of get the conversation started. And the icebreaker was quote unquote, what is the favorite vacation spot that you've ever been to? And the first thought that ever came to my head was like, hey, the last vacation I went to was like like 10 years ago. Like, you know, but back when I was a kid, it's like not only there's a COVID time, but also some people don't have the time and don't have the money to go on vacation. And essentially what I'm trying to say by that is 
depending on the topic and the way that you approach it, you automatically exclude some people from the conversation. So that question, what is your vacation spot you've been to, assumes that you have money and time to go on vacation. A lot of people, depending on your college situation uh, and depending on you know your work and your lifestyle and the kind of responsibilities that you have to others, kind of don't have that luxury to do that. And in a lot of ways, I feel like a lot of our conversations can be like that. The way that we talk about things, the content of our topics, also just our general demeanor when we're approaching these conversations can kind of exclude some people or uh, I guess, or even uh, make some people feel hostile to the conversation topics, depending on the way they approach it. All right. Yeah, I totally agree that and that exclusion can um, really mean make the difference with um, somebody and it could really stick to them. Um, I remember a time um, when some of my older siblings came down to visit um, and we were all sitting down at the dinner table, um, you know, discussing uh, several uh, politic, political topics and um, gun control came up. And um, the topic was generally um, left-sided, but me personally, myself, when it comes to gun control, I have um, a little more conservative um, ideals and I can remember just um, wanting to avoid the conversation completely because I didn't want my family to look at me a certain way, um, yeah. you know? And yeah, yeah. No, I know. It's like there's a, especially on like those really polarized political issues. And I think like gun control is definitely, definitely one of them, especially nowadays. Um, there's a lot of judgment that comes with those positions. And I can, I can totally get how you were kind of like avoiding avoidance by trying, you know, by trying not to have right. your, your, your views judged. Do you think that you would have been more open to expressing your views if maybe, um, your family peeled the onion you know what i mean like they they essentially looked at you and they're like you know this is noah and noah can have this opinion but that doesn't really like define noah i know generally they might do that but i think it's hard to do that in a conversation where you're really like deeply emotionally involved in kind of those topics what do you think All right yeah definitely i definitely agree with that one um i actually remember um actually trying to um enter the conversation and instead of them addressing my views, it kind of turned into a topic of why is Noah even thinking about this type of stuff at this age, you know? Um, so yeah, I definitely understand how that exclusion um, can really affect somebody. Yeah, and that sounds to me like a key, like you were just talking about kind of like these power dynamics, right? And like things like ageism. And one of those things that happens around the dinner table is uh, parents to younger children, right? It's like there tends to be that, uh, and we know there tends to be kind of like that con condescending attitude um, sometimes, you know, either parents to children or children to parents, whatever it may be, or it's other siblings and other siblings or other family members. And uh, that's exactly one of the examples that we mean by power dynamics that can kind of forget, make us forget that people are onions and kind of paint them as one picture and make people avoid avoidance, you know, or make people avoid uh, these conversations that we have. So um, awesome. And then one thing, you know, one thing that, that makes me think of like the example that you said is that if you think about it, if you're the only person in your family that kind of has like these right-leaning views, the fact that they're excluding you from that conversation kind of creates an echo chamber, doesn't it? All right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And that can be um, really damaging to the family dynamic um, if you're not allowing all um, those views and it could be, it can become really toxic. Yeah. Yeah. I think not just in the family dynamic too, um, even things like in classrooms or conversations with your friends or strangers. It's like when there's only one type of view, which is accepted within the conversation, or when maybe there's one type of voice dominating the conversation, um, 
it's it does a disservice to everybody because we can't hear uh you know different viewpoints on the issues that we're talking about nobody can learn because we're always hearing the same thing all the time like for example i have uh i have these old friends from middle school and high school and every time we get together it's oh do you remember the good old days when we used to throw like paper balls back at mr smith when we were in band class like we always talk about the same topics every time that we see each other and it's kind of like the same voices are always put on the pedestal and every time it's i feel you not you could record us the last five meetings that we had we said the exact same things because there's kind of like this echo chamber that happens when other people who are in the group don't get to speak you know all right yeah i totally agree i, I can uh, give an example myself um i remember one time at thanksgiving um the uh topic of trump uh came up and it seems like every time that that topic is brought up um there's this picture painted um, around Trump supporters, um, and it's usually a negative connotation attached to that idea um, and attached to those people um, without even knowing them at all. Um, but I can say for myself that I do know some, um, a lot of great people who are supporters of Trump, um, and I don't um, think that that has anything to do with their, um, their morality as a person. Yeah, of course. I think I think there's a lot of different reasons that people have their political preferences or have views on political points. But yeah, it's I guess it goes back to that peeling the onion thing where just because people have one certain view or think about things in a certain way, we shouldn't paint them all in that color or paint them all within, you know, that narrative of, of what we're talking about. Um, so I think I think we, we listed a lot of our examples and we talked a lot about you know, how some power dynamics, depending whether it's politics, whether it's age, whether it's class, um, can kind of exclude people from conversations and, and make them avoid conversations. So, um, and we want to talk maybe about how does this happen? What are some ways in which people dominate conversations more concretely? Or, uh, you know, what do we think causes that? Right, yeah. So it ties back to this concept of peeling the onion, right? So um, people's opinions, um, this the, the opinion layer being the most outer layer um, is usually affected by this second layer, the beliefs. And this belief layer is usually um, affected by our values, our, our core values. Um, now, somebody can share the same values with you, but they can also um, have conflicting opinions. Um, and this, is, this ties back to the, the, the importance of why we need to peel the onion um, before we start the conversation so that we can acknowledge these core values um, to try to get the conversation started um, on the right page. Yeah, and I think I think one way to do that really, really, uh, really well is essentially asking value questions, right, before you start a conversation. So things like, you know, what about this topic inspires or motivates you? Or how do you apply you know, what are your feelings towards this topic? Or, you know, what are, what is the, the fundamental issue that bothers you when we talk about things like gun control or things like, um, you know, like policing, for example, is it the safety of your community? Is it, you know, you're wanting the well-being for others, you know, whether that be children or whether that be uh, people in, you know, public spaces. Um, for example, one, one issue that we find that this peeling the onion kind of analogy falls through a lot is when we talk about policing in our communities. Um, I think most people want safe communities, right? That's like the underlying value at the core of the issue. Most people want, you know, to be safe at home, to be safe in their neighborhood, to go to safe places in school and so on and so forth. But we disagree on how to do it sometimes. We disagree on how much policing is necessary. We disagree on 
you know, how much money, how much allocation. And sometimes it seems like we're fighting about, you know, the the value of policing when really we all agree that we want safe communities. And we're on we're only arguing about the outermost layer, which is how to do it. Right. Yeah. So if we look at the police officer who, um, for example, could be using profiling to keep the community safe. If we peel back those outer layers, we would see that the core value of that officer is to keep the community safe. They value the safety of the community, um, but their opinion of using profiling to keep the community safe um, doesn't necessarily um, always align with that value. Um, and this can be for many reasons. Yeah, so so I think kind of the key to avoiding, you know, avoidance, essentially trying not to exclude people from conversations or trying not to create conversations which start excluding in themselves is kind of understanding what layer you're disagreeing on. I like to believe that most people don't disagree on the core layer of fundamental values. Most people want safe communities. Most people care about others. Most people want good outcomes to happen. But we tend to argue about the other layers. But sometimes when we think we're arguing about the core layer, we can get very emotionally charged, very, you know, we can, that conversation can become very polarizing instantly. So Noah, like that mentioned the police officer you brought up. Um, yeah, if that conversation would go so well, if we, if before, you know, we did the whole peeling the onion analogy and we figured out what the core value is that we agree on, and then we might disagree on how we do it. Right. Right. Yeah. And I agree with that point. Um, it's also important to peel back the layers within ourselves because sometimes we can feel like um, when somebody is attacking our opinions, we may feel like they're attacking our values. Um, so it's important that we not get those things mixed up. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Facebook should have this and it's like in its community guidelines. It would really help a lot of the, the online comment sections. <laughs> yeah. So when I think about this, you know, I, our, our analogy is great. I think I think the points that that we're getting at have some deep meaning, but it's kind of hard to apply them in the conversation. It's hard to in the middle of a conversation in Thanksgiving when things are getting really politically heated, you know, and your aunt comes out with, you know, the, the point she always comes out with. It's kind of hard to to um, to use these skills in a way that that can actually help you make conversations less toxic or make kind of like these power dynamics a little bit less intensive. Um, so essentially, I, I guess Noah and I wanted to offer you all some skills on, on how to do that. Yeah, so what would be the first and most important skill that you think is necessary for people to um, handle that confrontation? Yeah, one, one thing I like to do, and, and I learned this um, here at Amherst through um, restorative practices. It's this practice they have um, called uh, the talking piece and a setting conversation agreements. So I'm, I'm gonna go backwards. I'm gonna do conversation agreements first. So um, setting conversation agreements essentially is before you start a conversation, whether that be sitting down at a Thanksgiving dinner table or uh, you know having a gathering with your friends or whatever it may be, um, you might want to set some rules and agree to the rules together of how you want that conversation to go. Um, and one way that allows everybody to kind of have like a democratic decision-making process on how they would like to talk about these polarizing topics, but it also makes everybody feel respected and equal at the table because everybody has a voice in how the conversation will go from there on. And, you know, if the conversation kind of strays off, you can always point back to the rules and be like, Hey, didn't we just agree not to, you know, cuss at each other at the dinner table when we're talking about politics today? We should probably not, you know, go ahead and do that. And, and that can give people a good kind of guideline and, and I guess, constitution to go by. Um, and uh, just one thing, there's this one rule called the talking piece, which I really, really enjoy. Um, this comes from indigenous practices. Essentially, 
um one rule that i like to have in my conversations is to have like an actual physical item like a like a physical it could be like it's like a pen or um i don't know like your phone or something like that and that's the talking piece so whoever has that piece is the only person allowed to talk and everybody's attention should be given to that person so as the conversation goes on you can you know ask for the piece or raise your hand for it and you pass the piece around i think that makes sure that these power dynamics such as ageism or gender or race or so on um that really is like a, a physical and, and really a practical tool uh, to kind of mitigate some of these influences that make us kind of tune out you know all right, yeah, I definitely agree. Those sound like some really good skills um, that can be used um, in any situation in there. As you said, really practical and really easy to um, apply in a situation. Um, so another skill that me and Jalon want to offer to you guys um, is making space and taking space. Um, and just to talk about making space, um, by this we mean being able to analyze a conversation and recognize when too much space is being taken by either yourself or someone else and um, being able to offer that space up and give an equal um, talking floor to everybody who's involved in the conversation. Yeah, I, I definitely, I struggle with this a lot. Uh, I like to talk. Um, I got a loud voice. <laughs> I do. I come, I come, I can come across kind of uh, confrontational even sometimes. So one thing that that's worked for me uh, learning to make space has been uh, the duck duck go rule, which is which is exactly as simple as it sounds. Essentially, um, if you're speaking, you let two ducks go, and then you can go. So if I say something, if I'm in a conversation and I just gave a contribution, um, then I'm gonna let two other people speak. So duck duck, and then I'm gonna go again. So that, I think that that rule kind of makes sure that there's multiple people who are able to put their voices in. And also depending on the number of people in the conversation, for example, if I'm in a costume with 25 people, I'll probably do like a duck, 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 go rule, right? <laughs> I'm gonna let more people go than uh, just two people from there. So it's kind of being sensitive also to the context that you're in, but you, I, I think you, you'd understand the general, the, the gist of that. Yeah, definitely. That That's a really great um, concept that you introduced. Um, I feel like the duck, duck, go rule, um, really gives other people a chance to be involved um, and it's a great way to be able to time your own voice um, in a conversation. Um, so how how would you um, encourage people to take space if you feel like um, there's just no other option for somebody to um, enter a conversation, there's somebody who's hogging the floor, how would you um, encourage people, listeners, to take that space? Man, this, is, this one's hard for me because I, I often feel especially in academic settings, I think, more so than in personal or, or you know, or in settings for family, I feel, I feel very comfortable taking space and I guess taking, you know, my intellectual room up, so to speak. But I guess in when it comes to um, taking space, like putting yourself out there, um, I, I think there's kind of this, you, it's kind of, it's like a muscle, right? It needs to be trained. Um, you need to, even if it's weak at first, even if it feels uncomfortable, you need to keep practicing and keep trying to take up your space. And eventually, I think I think it does get easier. Like for example, I um, one thing I used to be really afraid to do back in back in when I was in, I guess even in, in elementary school, was raise my hand and speak. Uh, you know, and and even just raising my hand was like an act of courage to me. And knowing that the entire class was going to turn around and look at me and listen to what I had to say. And then you know, after I got used to raising my hand, then. And then I said something, I would immediately be so embarrassed over whatever I had just said. I was so self-critical. My ego was just looking inward so intensely. Um, 
and I think that again, it, there's like that second wave of practice, right? Now it's now it's not about raising your hand, but it's about practicing to be less self-critical about what you say. And I think if you keep keep practicing and keep these things in mind, I guess keep a good attitude when you're doing it and leaving your ego at the door, um, I think with practice and time, it'll go forward. I know that's not as satisfying and as like easy as a skill as the other ones that we've put, but that's, that's kind of my take on it. Uh, what about you, Noah? All right, yeah, I definitely relate to that one in the academic setting. Uh, for me, my it was um, almost became a fear, um, a fear of being wrong, um, in the sense when it came to raising my hand, I always feared that, um, you know, if I raised my hand and I got the the answer wrong, then my classmates would look down on me, or for whatever reason, I was being, as you said, self-critical. But um, you know, it's important to leave your ego at the door in those situations. Um, and you just have to be prepared to be wrong, be prepared to um, be embarrassed, you know. Um, and it's it's really rewarding once you train that muscle and you're able to take that space um, with confidence. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the, the thing you said about leaving your ego at the door really really strikes me because it's, we're, we tend to be you know, so self-critical about the things that we do and the things that we say and also critical of others. Um, and their contributions to conversation or their contributions to whatever projects we might be working on. And I think really at the core of our, you know, peeling the onion and avoiding avoidance thing is this idea of respect, right? Respecting ourselves, uh, respecting the other people in a conversation and, and wanting to include everybody in ways that make them feel whole and like they belong there. Um, and I think leaving our egos both, you know, for ourselves and, uh, and in the judgment of others is one way to kind of, strike at the core of the onion so to speak you know a strike at the core of the issue um and yeah and if, and if there's anything that we should take from that to take from this conversation i think it should be that all right yeah i totally agree with that you know um these skills and these concepts that we introduce um they really tie back to the idea of respect and um we really want to emphasize that because that feeling of being respected and acknowledged in a conversation can really make the difference to somebody um, in that environment. Well, thanks for having me on, Noah. All right. Thank you for joining me.